Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and the 2021 NFL Draft is officially over. The Eagles have selected nine players in total, six here on day three alone, and we're going to cover them all right at the top of the show in Draft Buzz. Ben Fennell is finished with his duties on set for NFL Network in Cleveland, Ohio. Dane Brugler, he's down at the star in Dallas. I am still at the practice bubble on the set of Eagles Draft Central down at the Novacare Complex. It's been a wild weekend. I love these three days. It's bittersweet for it to be over, but here we are. We've got a lot to discuss. But before we get there, look, I know this. I, I'm not going to be uh, bashful about this. These episodes were after the Eagles draft. They are some of our highest listened to episodes of the season. That's because a lot of people, a lot of Eagles fans, want to listen to this show and get a sense of who the newest Eagles are. And if you are one of those people that's uh, for the first time you're listening or you don't listen all year round, I'm here to tell you, stay subscribed. Just go over to your podcast app. Find Journey to the Draft podcast, hit subscribe. New episodes come to you each and every week. And the reason why, you look, if you like what you hear right now, today, on this episode, I promise you're going to love everything about what this show brings to you. Because remember, the Eagles could potentially have three first-round picks in 2022. Next year's lead-up to the NFL Draft is going to be so exciting. There's no better way for you to be the smartest person in your circle when it comes to getting ready for the NFL Draft. Because no matter what time of year it is, the Journey to the Draft podcast is here to make you a smarter fan when it comes to the draft, player evaluation, team building. You'll be able to spot the diamonds in the rough for next spring. We've heard from so many of our loyal listeners on social media over the last couple of days saying, I can't believe the Eagles got this player. You've been talking about him all season long. Well, guess what? That could be you next year. So if you are a first-time listener, I'm telling you, go over, hit subscribe. You will not regret it. I love what this show has become over the last year or so. We're going to keep this thing rolling. Excited for the future here of the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. Get multiple shows a week talking about the NFL draft, player evaluation, college football, everything in between. So uh, that being said, we've got a lot to cover here with Dane Brugler and Ben Fennell. Let's get the show rolling here in Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, let's get things rolling here in Draft Buzz as I welcome in my buddies, Ben Fennell and Dane Brugler. Guys, we made it. Uh, the 2021 draft, like I said earlier, uh, in the books. A bittersweet feeling, right? I mean, it's uh, it's a grind these last couple of days, but uh, a lot of fun for certain. So now that we can talk about these players and talk about their fits uh, with their teams. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a grind, especially when you're working the broadcast. We just got off seven hours of coverage, which is <laughs> wild to think about. And uh but it's crazy because it's kind of like a hurry up and wait. And then it just goes by in a blur. And it's just it's so much fun. I love the pacing of day two and day three and just watching all these names and this kind of year long work on the draft. It's just fun to see uh, what the teams think to kind of validate your year long thoughts and opinions. We talk about the draft. This is this is the show. This is the prom. This is the dance. You know, is when it all unfolds. Dana. It's just great that we get to talk about the fits now, you know, yeah. and not, not with no more projections in terms of rounds and all that. We get to talk about, okay, what's the fit? How is this going to play out? And that, that's a, always fun to flip the page and you start about talk or talk about something new. I don't want to hear the words mock draft for at least like three days. I'm sure Dane's 2022 is due like an hour ago. So it is. I'm dreading it. So trust me. And right, don't guys. think I don't keep those receipts, Dane. All right. We know I'm gonna Dane. call them back up next April and throw them uh, right in the face. Tyler right? Shelvin top ten. <laughs> yeah. I can see like the sweat like dripping from Dane's forehead, like just like thinking about this. Yeah. Um 
All right, let's let's get into this uh, Eagles uh, set of day three picks, guys. And we'll start uh, in the fourth round where, Dane, they pull a guy that I know you were very high on, and that's yeah. Texas Tech corner Zach McPherson. Uh, they, they selected him a 123 overall. Uh, tell Eagles fans what you saw from watching McPherson on film and uh, how he will make this transition to the league. I'm a big fan of Zach McPherson. He, he was one of the most underrated players, I thought, throughout the process. Like, you didn't hear anybody talking about him. And I, I, I almost put him in my top 100. He was an early fourth-round grade, but I liked him a lot. I thought where the Eagles got him was just perfect value for him. Uh, really like the movement skills. He stays on top of routes, uh, competes, challenges passing windows. Uh, I think he does a really nice job balancing his eyes between the backfield and receivers. And so he's able to make plays on the football. Uh, the fluidity, the toughness, the cover skills, all above average. Um, and I, he just needs to get a little bit better with his play recognition, with his anticipation. And if he does that, I, I think he could be a starter in this league, can play both man, can play zone, can play inside, can play outside. And it's funny because he uh, started his career at Penn State, yep. couldn't get on the field, transfers to Texas Tech. And you think, well, it's just, you know, it's Big 12. He played uh, like a stud. He was a team captain, special teams. He had a couple blocked kicks. kicks. So Zach McPherson is a really good player. And uh, Ben, correct me if I'm wrong, he made your list, right? He's on the uh, the, the special team 500 snap count list, uh, I believe, looking back over the course of his career. Uh, this is a guy that can impact special teams, a good athlete, uh, a great kid, uh, comes from a really athletic family. Uh, but you're talking about a guy that can play inside, can play outside, and as I mentioned, can impact the third phase of the game as well, Ben. Fran, he had 498 special team snaps, all right? You got to earn that 500 threshold, all right? But he was right there. He's a guy that's really athletic, can find a use for him in a variety of coverage units uh, or return units as well. He's a guy that a lot of people were projecting to nickel, just being a little bit undersized and very quick-footed, great short area burst. But he was as big of a sleeper and kind of an unknown through the process as it gets, considering how strong his resume was. This past season with four interceptions, particularly at the end of the year, I think finishing with three straight games with an interception. His worst game of the year was the opener against Houston Baptist. Then once he got in a league play in the Big Ten, which we all know, spread him out in the Big Ten. There's a lot of green grass, a lot of air raid offenses, not always the best situations to evaluate cornerbacks as they're kind of sitting ducks in some of those schemes. He did a really good job. And then he shows up at the pro day, 448, 10-10 broad, over 40-inch vertical. This guy's checking a lot of boxes. And he kind of looked to the left and right and say, why isn't anybody talking about this kid? But Zach from Tech is a really interesting player. And I'm happy we grabbed him. Yeah, I, to me, like, you know, you kind of look at it just from a profile standpoint. All right, it's a, it's a corner from Texas Tech. Like, why should I be excited about this kid? He got the combine invite. And I was like, oh, I'll wait to watch him. I'll wait to watch him. And then he tests well at the pro day and I'm like, all right, well, I got, I got to make sure I watch him soon. And then when Dane puts his beast out a few weeks ago, I was like, Oh, like Dane had him in like, I believe in your top 15, right? Dane. Uh, so I look yep. and I'm like, all right, I got to watch him like tomorrow. Uh, and I really liked what I saw, uh, you know, all the reasons you guys brought up a really intriguing talent. Speaking of which we can now make the transition out to the fifth round where, uh, the Eagles selected at 150 overall, they come away with Memphis running back, Kenny Gainwell, uh, and this is a player that I know all three of us are really, really excited about. Ben, we'll come to you first. You were you got a chance to see Gainwell up close last season in 2019, so two seasons ago, I should say. Uh, you got to see him in person. I saw him in person as well that year. Uh, your thoughts on the selection of Kenny Gainwell? Oh, I love that addition. Just before we put uh, you know Zach McPherson to bed, my one negative on his uh, sheet is too aggressive at times. Mm. 
which is great. If that's the one kind of negative right. you're harping on, I can I can work with that. He's a little grabby, too many penalties. I'd rather dial back the aggressive guy than trying to fire up the timid guy. So he's a guy that does not back down. He's feisty. Kenneth Gainwell, we've been talking about this guy for seemingly two years. I had a chance to see him in person uh, at the end of 2019 in that American Conference Championship game against Cincinnati. He slid right into that Tony Pollard role where he's half slot receiver, half running back and showed a lot of wide receiver skills. You could find him running seven routes down the seam, back shoulders, stacking cornerbacks, making adjustments on the ball. Not to mention, he's a pretty good running back. Very shifty, kind of good inside, outside, a speed to get to the perimeter, can embarrass, embarrass defenders caught flat-footed, whether in the screen game or some really clever little shovel passes and things like that. He is as loose and creative a runner as there is in this class, in the entire class. He has a number of ways to kind of make defenders miss with contact balance. And another one of these intriguing players that was a dual threat high school quarterback, a guy that's just used to having the ball in his hands. And whether it's, you know, Kadarius Tony or those types, it just seems like those high school quarterback athletic types are all over college football. You just have to find a use for them, find ways to get them involved in the offense. Mike Norvell is as good as it gets in college football in accentuating those dual threat players, whether it goes back to Florida State days at DJ Foster, Antonio Gibson, Tony Pollard, and Kenneth Gainwell. I know Norvell's out in Florida State right now, but what he did with Gainwell uh, in previous years, really interesting player from Yazoo County, Mississippi, just like Fletcher Cox and Hall of Famer Willie Brown. Really interesting player. I'm glad we grabbed him. Uh, Dane, the so question I've got for you, I mean, Ben went through the, so many of the highlights there uh, with Kenneth Gainwell. How does he fall to the 150th pick in the draft? Uh, there were a handful of backs that went ahead of them. In your opinion, like, what is it that possibly could have made him fall? Because uh, he checks so many boxes. Is it just the, is it the size? Was it the, the lack of, uh, of sample size? Like, oh, in your mind, what was it? I would have to imagine it's part size um, and just, you know, understanding what is, what's his ideal role going to be. And, you know, cause he, he always shared carries uh, in college. He was a high school quarterback and he, he made the transition pretty well to running back, but uh, only one year of film. I, I wish I had a better answer for you because I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it, this guy was a top 75 pick in my opinion. Yep. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to find a lot better players in this draft to justify why he fell to the fifth round. Um, but you know, there's, there's so much like about him as a pass catcher. If you're going to rank the top, uh, receiving backs in this class, we can debate two, three, four. You can't debate one. It's Kenny Gainwell. Um, and so you can use that, uh, in different ways on your football team. Uh, and how about the Memphis running backs in the NFC East now with Pollard, uh, Dallas and Gibson, uh, and Washington and, now Gainwell and Philly, so that that's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. And you know he's he's limited as a blocker. You know he's not gonna. I don't think he's a bell cow guy. Like I don't. I question if he's gonna be able to have you know average twelve carries a game. I just don't know if he's gonna be able to do that. Uh, but when you talk about his total touches, that's where he's gonna be able to impact this offense. And this is a player that, you know, when you look uh, at his overall skill set, we talk about the value as a pass catcher. I think of the Eagles offense and you think of Nick Sirianni. Okay, where does he come from? Indianapolis. Look at how they've used Naheem Hines. Then you look at uh, Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator. Where was he most recently? With the Chargers, with Austin Eckler. They're going to find ways to get this guy the football in the passing game. Uh, You could say the same thing about Miles Sanders as well, but really, really excited uh, for what Kenny Gainwell will look like in this offense, Ben. 
and Fran, despite opting out of 2020, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. in 2019, 400, 400 club, that's 400 receiving, 400 rushing, okay. four players in the country, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Travis Etienne, little Max Borgie out in Washington State, and Kenneth Gainwell. It's pretty good company. And I'd implore all Eagles fans, find the game day piece on Kenneth Gainwell they did two yeah. years ago on his brother, who unfortunately had a stroke several years ago and the way he takes care of him. And now is kind of a, a special needs brother, really inspiring story. Great kid on the field, off the field. I think he's going to fit in really well uh, with the community in Philadelphia. And he, uh, he was also part, he was the only member of the thousand yard rushing club uh, and 500 yard receiving club uh, mm. with what he did in 2019. So pretty impressive. And yeah, he did opt out. He, he said it four different family members pass away from COVID. So you know, we kind of question why these guys opt out. I think he, you know, Gainwell definitely had, uh, you know, some of those uh, uh, tragedies weighing on him and part of the reason why he decided to opt out last season. There's no uh, questioning there uh, for sure. Let's go now uh, into round six, guys. Now, the Eagles go into round six and seven with a total of six selections. They had four sixth-round picks, two seventh-round picks. So as the round gets underway, they make a trade with the Washington football team, their second to, uh, trade within the division this weekend, uh, where they send one sixth and one seventh to Washington in exchange for a future fifth round pick in 2022. So the Eagles get another pick. They now sit with 10 selections for the 2022 draft. Uh, real quickly, before we get into the sixth round, uh, that's huge, guys. We talk about the value of those picks next year. The Eagles have for certain two first round picks, potentially three. And then you throw in this extra fifth rounder as well. Uh, Dane, Ben, can you guys real quickly, just an elevator speech, why are next year's picks so much more valuable? Why, why is that the buzzword uh, right now around the league? We, we saw several smart teams do this. You know, the Browns did it. You know, they're a very forward thinking organization in the front office. No, no surprise that the Eagles did it with the way that they're always looking uh, in advance to the next following draft. And when you think about just next year, all that new, all the added information, you know, hopefully next year is more of a normal draft cycle. We're going to have a bigger pool of players next year. So that's the big one. Theoretically, it should be a much stronger draft. So when you factor in the information and the pool of players, I mean, it's just smart business. If you have a comp pick, if you have those day three picks, those fifth round picks, sixth round picks, seventh round picks are not going to be normal fifth, sixth, seventh round picks next year because you have, like you said, Dan, a bigger pool of players, uh, guys that opted to go back for another year of college football, Ben. Yeah, I think Dane summed it up pretty well. I'll uh, cap on that is I truly believe every pick in the seventh round would be a priority free agent next year. Right. Maybe even earlier, depending on who you ask. Hmm. Uh, but once you got into the seventh, it was PFA Central this year, but they ended up being draft picks. I think that's kind of where this year and next year's deep talent pool kind of differentiate. So after the trade, the Eagles have uh, had now three sixth-round picks and a seventh-round selection. So we'll go uh, to the first sixth-round pick, USC defensive lineman Marlon Tuipolotu, a player that we've talked about a decent amount here on the show. He was at the Senior Bowl, a redshirt junior who declared for the draft early, graduated. That's why he was able to go down to Mobile. Dane, going to the Beast, he was your third defensive tackle in this draft. The Eagles get him in round six. Really good value here. Uh, what do you like about Tuipolotu? Yeah, uh, he was the or he was or Kenny Gainwell was my 68th overall player, and uh, this guy was 69th overall player. So the Eagles, uh, you know, according to you know uh, my board, did extremely well there in terms of value. You know, it, it, he's not going to give you much of a pass rush, but he is a really good run defender. Uh, you know, he, the backfield production doesn't get you excited, 
but you know, his ability to use his hands, he's got powerful uh, mitts with the way he's going to attack blockers, shock, knock back. Uh, he's able to separate from contact, find the football, make plays. One gap, two gap. I think he could do both. Strong, stout, active run defender. Uh, you know, you you need guys like that, even if he's not going to give you consistent backfield production. Uh, you know, he's a guy that will impact your team with his ability to play the run. And Fran, if if that back wasn't a concern for some teams, he's a day two pick all day long, and I think he would have fit more in Dane's pecking order if the medicals were clean across the board. But the back issue. You in 17, 18, leading up to the draft, some teams still had some concerns with it. Uh, and But when he's on the field and healthy, he's as good as it gets. And I think Jay Tufele stole a little bit of his thunder in 2019. Mm. Tufele opted out. It was kind of Tuli Peloto's show in 2020. And you're really able to see what he can provide, whether it was nose tackle or kind of a one-tech, two-eye, very heavy-handed, stout, strong, can really surge and burst off of blocks to make plays uh, on ball carriers, which I love. Flashes some short area bursts in Fran between me and you. And we know that infectious nature of the Eagles defensive line. This guy will hustle out to the numbers in the sideline, just like he did. I think on a smoke screen against Arizona, he ran about 20 yards laterally to go tackle the wide receiver makes plays like that all the time. Seems like a really infectious kind of energetic player out on the field. Yeah. Not much pass rush upside, but that's okay. I think you know what you're getting with a, a player like this. You know, I, I think that that is a kind of an overarching theme of the front seven players that the Eagles acquired in this draft. When you look at Milton Williams, uh, you look at Tui Pelotu, you look at the guy we're going to talk about next year in Teron Jackson, uh, throw Jacoby Stevens in there as well. Another sixth round pick we're going to talk about these guys are maniacs for the football. They are sharks in the water, chasing blood uh, wherever it is. And to me, just watching those guys uh, get after it, they're going to fit perfectly in that culture that's already established by Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham in that defensive line room. And Fran, Fran, really quick, he has flashed some really good quickness off the ball getting up the field. Some club moves and arm over swim moves. They're just too few and far between. He's a little bit more of a line of scrimmage player, which is okay because he's a really strong player, you know, kind of dwelling on that line of scrimmage. I felt, I felt he had starting traits as a, you know, whether you look at him as a second defensive tackle or even like a third or rotational player. Uh, I thought this was a guy that uh, can certainly play meaningful snaps in the NFL. I have uh, one note on his biofran that's in bold and wrote, he can re-win a gap. And what I yeah. mean by that is to be a tick slow off the ball or maybe get reached or lose that hat placement. He's so strong and can re-leverage and kind of reposition and lose that first step, but win the next two, three steps, which you have to be able to do. The NFL offensive linemen are ridiculous. They are so quick, so athletic. Sometimes you're a tick late off the ball. That's not an excuse to have a poor play. You got to be able to recover. And I think he can do that with his strength. Uh, let's go now to the Eagles' next sixth-round pick, and that's Teron Jackson from Coastal Carolina, a first-team All-American. Uh, this guy wins with power. He's, first of all, an A-plus-plus kid. Uh, you may remember, longtime listeners or the consistent listeners may remember I had his head coach, Jamie Chadwell, on before the Senior Bowl and asked him about Teron. And just, I mean, you couldn't say enough good things uh, about what Teron Jackson brings. And when you talk to other members of that staff, which I have this offseason, they just glow about him. And this is a guy that does everything right. He's a power leverage player, wins with effort, wins with technique, finished with just under 25 sacks in his career. Uh, Dane, uh, just a fun player. You're talking about middle of the sixth round. Uh, this is a, a really solid football player to be able to add to the rotation. I think the production alone gets you excited. 44 yep. and a half tackles for loss over his career, 26 and a half sacks, six forced fumbles. 
Uh, and I thought watching him over the summer, I saw a solid player, but he was really inconsistent. But I thought as a senior, he turned a lot of those flashes into consistency. And he was a consensus All-American as a senior. Another guy who really heavy handed, he'll soften the edge uh, with his ability to beat up blockers. Uh, he plays gap sound at the point of attack. He's a spark plug because yep. uh, he does have some quickness. He does have pop in his hands. Uh, the way they used him, they would line him up inside and outside uh, in their three-man front. So uh, he's a guy that I think projects best as a base end who can reduce inside and give you some uh, production from different alignments on the defensive line. And he did that a little bit down there. He played some zero and some nose and some sub packages. It was a lot of fun. 145 career QB pressures. That's the second most in college football the last three years combined. Hmm. Consistently productive player, three-year starter, 2,400 snaps played, over 300 special team snaps at 260 pounds. He's running down on punt coverage. The names I've written down, Melvin Ingram, Brandon Graham, Sam Acho. We're talking about a short frame type of defensive end, tree trunk legs, thick lower half, a guy that plays very heavy on contact. And he's a really fun player to watch because of that kind of unique size and He's like a bit of a no-nonsense player. He's not looking just to run around people. He's going to blast through that kind of inside shoulder and really work his hands. He's a fun player. He's good on twists and stunts. If you think you're going to put a tight end over this kid, he will destroy them. And in, <laughs> in my opinion, to a level almost embarrassing him. That's right. how strong he is because he's just a little bit of an interesting frame, not having that real kind of long profile, but he's got 33-inch arms. He's got an 80-inch wingspan. He's not, you know, a stump all the way around. Uh, he's just kind of a unique skill set, but he's really strong. He's he is your kind of guy, Ben. Like when you're talking about pass rushers, we talk. Oh, you about- know me. I don't want the bendy, no. flexible guys looking to speed rush around tackles. I want a guy that can go through a guy's face, go a inside, go yep. outside, That's knock it. hands down, play through contact really well, play with a firm base, be aware. And I wrote down the last note. I love it. Hustles the perimeter consistently. Yep. Hustles to the perimeter consistently. You got to have that in Philadelphia. And if you don't have that, they're going to make you have that because okay. that's how they play up and down that line. Well, let's get now to the uh, the last sixth-round pick here for the Eagles, and that's uh, a guy that was the quarterback of the defense for LSU over the last couple of seasons. That's Jacoby Stevens. He was a safety for this team, but he is going to be listed as a linebacker for the Eagles. And before you get you know, say, oh, another safety convert to linebacker, when I watched Jacoby Stevens back in the summer, the comp that I had for him was Mark Barron when Mark Barron was coming out of Alabama. He was a strong safety who was drafted, I believe, in the top 10 by the Tampa Bay Bucks. very quickly made a transition to backer. And when I look at Stevens, this is a guy that, yeah, he, he's lined up deep. He can play in the post. He can do all those different things. He played in the slot. He matched up against backs and tight ends. But you watch him very often. He was lined up as a stacked player behind the defensive tackle, dealing with traffic, dealing with contact. This is a guy where it's not going to be as much of a projection viewing him now making that transition from the third to the second level. I look at Jacoby Stevens as a guy that can really easily make that transition. I'm excited, Ben, uh, about what he could be moving forward. Well, the two names I've written down, Thomas Davis, Lawrence Timmons. There you go. Two guys that didn't play a whole lot of linebacker in college and end up transitioning there at the next level. Guy we really respect, Matt Miller, mocked him in the first round in his way too early mock right after last year's draft. He had a huge 2019 season, played all over the place, equal time, free safety, box linebacker, out in the slot. I saw him against Arkansas in person where he had three sacks. He wore number three. He played off the edge most of the game. 
Yep. I thought he was an edge rusher. And, yeah. you know, that's just cause it kind of speaks to his versatility. And I think we said a couple months ago, trying to compare early round prospects to late round prospects. He's the day three version of Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa. Yep. They're kind of spitting images of each other being 6'1", 215, playing all over the place. Is he going to be a linebacker at the next level? And that 2019 season, undefeated LSU. This guy played over 1,000 snaps, nearly 1,100 snaps, over 100 on special teams in that one season. I didn't watch a whole lot of him in 2020, to be honest with you. That LSU defense, completely different. A lot yep. of people went to the pros, a lot of new bodies in there. New coordinator. It wasn't the same. Yeah, no question. But that 2019 tape, as our buddy Matt Miller mocked, he was a first-round type of player. Uh, Dane, he was a guy, I know you and I have had these conversations multiple times about Stevens, where uh, I had him listed with my backers really going back to the summer. Um, and we would say, like, all right, is he going to be with the safety group? Is he going to be with the linebacker group? When he got signed on to the senior ball, I remember it was like, all right, like, uh, you know, Jim Nagy said he's going to be taking line, doing linebacker reps. He's going to be doing linebacker drills. But then he showed up and he was around like around 220. I'm like, oh, like maybe he's still going to try and hold on to safety. And then he goes to the pro day and he was like 213. It's like, all right, he's definitely going to try and see if he can stay at safety. But uh, he said talking with the Eagles, the communication that he has had has been with their linebackers coach, Nick Rallis. They announced him as a backer. Uh, he is making that move to the linebacker spot. It's a really interesting fit. And I struggled with him because he he's a linebacker in the body of a safety, really. And he's one of the toughest guys on the field. But it's complicated because uh, he is a little bit of a tweener. And his play, I thought, is very up and down. Uh, a lot of missed tackles, more than you want to see. And that's just because he's so aggressive, because he loves to run the alley. He loves to get after it, that there are some undisciplined tendencies there. It's some things he just needs to iron out. He is a fearless, fearless player. Uh, doesn't lack for physicality at all. Loves to uh, be aggressive and play through contact. Uh, he hunts for passing lanes just needs to iron out some of those inconsistencies. Uh, and so he projects to me as a box player. So not really a surprise, you know, the further away from the line of scrimmage he got, I thought, you know, he became a little more uncomfortable. So not surprising. That he's going to be, you know, a linebacker with the Eagles. I th think that makes sense above all. It's all about special teams with him. It's yep. what kind of impact you're going to make on, on special teams. That, that's really going to help him stick on this roster. Uh, one final player that was also kind of, I would say, surprisingly listed as a linebacker, and that's the seventh-round selection, Patrick Johnson from Tulane. Uh, we've talked a lot about his teammate, Cam Sample. Uh, Dane, I believe Greg had brought up uh, Patrick Johnson in our Q&A earlier this week, right? He did, uh, yeah. th th That he really liked Patrick Johnson. Uh, he ends up being a seventh-round pick for the Eagles. But uh, when you look at him, I mean, 6'2", 240 pounds, undersized for a true defensive end. So uh, you can understand, hey, we're going to move him over to, to linebacker, uh, whether he's a Sam or kind of a hybrid player. On pass downs, I mean, this guy was very, very productive. He can get after the quarterback as well. He plays so physical uh, yeah. at, at contact. For a guy that's 240 pounds, you would swear, you know, he's 260, 270, 280 with the way he's playing out there. Uh, and he rushes with a plan, and you can respect that. He doesn't he plays with energy and he doesn't waste that energy uh, with false steps or wasted moves. He knows what he's doing out there. Very smooth. Uh, but he doesn't have that ideal frame that you want. And so he's a little bit of a tweener. And, and so it'll be interesting to see how they use him. Is he going to be a sub package rusher? Most likely that's probably what he's going to have to do. Uh, not the most sudden player, but you know, he, he's a guy, like I said, he likes to get after it and he has a plan out there. So you see secondary moves, you see countermeasures. He responds well to what blockers are doing. And, you know, the the production, it's there. 24 and a half uh, sacks over his career, 40 tackles for loss, six forced fumbles. 
you know, this is a guy that uh, he, he likes to get after the quarterback and he does it well. Ben, uh, I know you, you've seen Patrick Johnson as well. Your thoughts on uh, just the, the move to linebacker. You and I just did a podcast, was it last week, talking about players making a position switch. He did stand up a decent amount off the edge, um, but we'll see exactly what the usage looks like, I guess, when we get into the spring and summer here with Patrick Johnson during mini camps and eventually training camp. I think he's a Sam backer all day long. This yeah. guy's going to kind of play off the edge or just kind of be that hang overhang defender out there. Really productive player, two seasons, a double-digit sacks. Probably one of my favorite pass rushing duos of the college football season between Patrick Johnson and Cam Sample down at Tulane. Some of those third down reps, it was a race to the quarterback. And it was really fun just to watch those two go and hunt. Really fun, energetic, athletic players. A lot of people are saying, ah, Tulane, maybe beating up on the American Conference. Go watch him 2018 against Ohio State. He looked the part out there, and he did not back down from some of those NFL-caliber offensive linemen. Very consistent player, productive player. Has played 2,400 snaps, seemingly has been on the field every year. There was four years down there at Tulane. Really fun player, productive player, consistent player. And now I just want to see where he's, you know, he's going to take his game to the next level with maybe some more NFL coaching. He might be that diamond in the rough you know, in the, in the late rounds. Guys, uh, you both, and I'm going to include myself in this one, uh, go get a nice drink, go to sleep. Mm-hmm. We'll talk a little bit later this week. Early this week, we'll drop another podcast, kind of put a ribbon on this Eagles draft class, uh, and we'll uh, continue breaking down how all of these players, not just with the Eagles, but across the NFL, are, are going to fit with their new teams right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Guys, great stuff as always. Uh, the journey has ended here for the 2021 NFL Draft. All right, so great stuff there from Ben and Dane. Uh, We've got a lot coming here later this week. I mentioned uh, we will catch up with Ben and Dane a little bit later this week, kind of put a ribbon on this entire draft class for the Eagles, kind of take big-picture takeaways. We're going to start our division recaps, look all around the league here in the coming weeks. But I think later this week is my goal that we are going to start our journey episodes. And and if you are a longtime listener, you know what I'm talking about. Basically, what we're going to do is we're going to take all of the Eagles draft picks and we're going to t- go kind of look back at all the times we discussed them here on the show. So you can get an idea of what we thought of all these players before they were selected by the team, right? So uh, if you think of all oh, it's slanted analysis, this is a team program. No, this is how we felt about these guys when they were still in college, before they were drafted by the Eagles. So we're going to go through and just kind of follow their journey through college football, through the pre-draft process, all the way up through draft weekend. We've got great exclusive interviews with college coaches and scouts, the whole deal, everything in between. I cannot wait to share all these episodes with you. And that will start hopefully uh, later this week. So make sure you stay stay subscribed right here to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. I'm going to go take a nap. Uh, This has been an awesome three days. Thanks for everybody that followed us over at Eagles Draft Central, over on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app and social channels. But stay tuned for more right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. In just over three years, Eagles Autism Foundation has raised millions of dollars for autism research and care. But this is about so much more than just fundraising. This is about making a transformational difference in the lives of those affected by autism. This is about bringing our community together. With inclusive, sensory-friendly events and accessible resources, we meet families where they need us most and where we can serve them best. Together, we're united in our mission to improve the lives of the autism community and to turn awareness into action. It's what we focus on every day in every way.